Well, it is always a privilege to be here and to be in this congregation for several weeks gives me a rich ability to go back to England and to what I'm doing, thinking about you all and praying for this wonderful little church. Um, I, I thought I'd just start by something Scott said of, you know, going out and into the world as a missionary. I had a word from the Lord one morning in a quiet time. I was a very contented absolutely adored my classroom teacher and I wasn't looking to go anywhere and one morning I felt like Jesus spoke to me and said will you come to the nations with me and I had a picture of him kind of going and I went great where are we going and in my mind that was a trip (laughs) it wasn't anything to do with missions it was just like I'd been here and there and I loved it and I thought okay where where else we going and um As I shared that with Scott and Susan and talked to them a little bit, my brother very wisely said, I think this is a call to missions, Kathy. And I was like, a call to what? (laughs) Never, ever had I had a thought about being a missionary. And um, although in the months that would follow that and kind of trying to weigh what we're talking about, his word was kind of about, you know, it'd be great if you'd like to translate the Bible in the jungle. I thought, no way. <laughs> that is not going to happen. And um, I've been to a few jungles, but I don't want to live there. And, but as I thought about, you know, Lord, where did this come from? I found in a Bible I'd had as a child that my grandparents gave me. And I just felt like, take a look at your old Bible. And I opened it up, and in there was a little pamphlet from one of the multitude of probably Bible studies uh, children's church that I'd gone to that I'd signed. As you read the thing, it was calling the disciples. At the end, it said, do you want to be a fisherman of men? And I'd signed it. Yes. And my name. (laughs) And I felt very much God say, remember, I told you. (laughs) And I heard you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my goodness. This doesn't, maybe it's serious. (laughs) So that's where I started. We're totally clueless. And probably I've continued for about the last, because I left Austin in 1991, probably all those years, I'm a bit clueless sometimes as to that the significance of things going around me, but very clear about I want to see Jesus and see Jesus and his love really showing in this place. And I take seriously the words you all have on the door there about we're all ordinary people following Jesus. And it's a journey. And that's part of what I want to share with you this morning is my life in England looks like all of us. I mean, my days are a bit random scattered when different kinds of things that I do in Luton or other places. But the heart of it is what we're all doing. And that's what I really want to address this morning is who we are as followers of Jesus and how God just takes our lives and turns them into something extra special. So I, this, this year, as I was here with you, um, I was really struck by the, the Scott's sermon on Epiphany. And I wanted to start from there, onwards from Epiphany, because we talked about the wise men and their encounter with Caesar's representative, Herod, and all the things that were in the mixture of that about who, we're looking for the king, but this isn't the king. And where is the king? Well, he's in this way out place in Bethlehem and kind of obscure. And I think that's where we all live, really, is in this reality of we're living in the kingdom of God. And the forces around us are the forces around us that have always been and always will be of a fallen world. But we're here for a time and we're taking the message of Jesus seriously to see what can we do. So, that's the next slide, Steve, has 
These were the things that were in his summary. Help us to worship the God who appears to humanity. Help us to celebrate God's multitude ways of appearing to human beings, even in places we believe are inaccessible. Help us to respond emotionally and worshipfully to the appearance of Messiah in our lives. And help us to help others respond to Messiah's appearance in their lives. I thought when that came up and I was thinking through, I thought, whoa, those I could think about for a long time because they kind of summarize, I think, what I do and what most of us do most of the time in our, our lives. We're here doing something as we worship that helps people see the beauty of God. So I want to take you to three places I've been this this year, and it's been a really lovely, lovely year. Um, and as I've gone those places, I've thought about some of the people that I've met there, and I wanted to just tell you a few stories about them and link them back to some of this. So last May, along with Steve and Mary Ann, I went on the journey of understanding, and um, it always fills my heart with a lot of joy to be able to go back to Israel and Palestine and meet the friends I've known for a long time. And in that, I, long before I've known most of you in this room, there's only a few of you I would have known, in 2003, my first journey of understanding, I met a young man who I would later visit in his discipleship training school with YWAM in Belfast. And these two guys were sitting in the DTS course that year. And I first met them. The one on the, the, your right is Elias, and the other gentleman is Celine. And they were sitting in that discipleship training as 19-year-olds, the same age as my nephew, Adam. And they were about like Adam, kind of like full of, oh, I'm going to change the world with everything I'm going to do, and this dream and that dream. And it was just fun. And so I've known him a long time, and he grew up in Bethlehem on the corner of where the the wall goes around now, and there's a police tower, and his his the traffic in Bethlehem goes around that corner. So it's a flashpoint. It always has been a flashpoint for lots of demonstrations, a lot of chaos. That's where this young man grew up in a Christian family. And his family were originally Orthodox, and then they moved into the Evangelical Church. His mother runs the Christian bookstore in Bethlehem. And Elias was in the shaping of his faith. And he's naturally a man of peace. He just has a kindness and a calmness and a quirkiness about him that he likes meeting people. And so... And Salim was the opposite. Salim had grown up in a really rough family. He uh, had been out throwing rocks at the, the Israeli soldiers when they came into town and taken a beating for that once or twice. And, but both of them, now many years later, Salim works for the Bethlehem Bible College, having walked through his life, and I think he's in the photography department. But he's got a lovely family. Elias... I have known through this time, and on this trip, I got to go visit him and his new wife, and they have their first child. Now, this young man has gone through many, many struggles about how do I live, how do I forgive, and how do I love in the context in which I live. And he is strong enough in his peace building, I want people to know one enough, another, that on one trip probably five years ago, no, maybe eight years ago, I, uh, his mother called me and said, 
Are you coming to our house today? Because Elias has invited a rabbi to, from Jerusalem to come and have dinner with us. Now, rabbis at that point did not come to Bethlehem. But this guy did have a, a, a kind of a mission that he wanted to bridge the wall as well. And it, you can drive around it in many different directions. So I met him. But the crazy part of that story was Elias then accepted his invitation to go to a wedding in Jerusalem. And the guy came to pick him up and drive him out of Bethlehem without a permit and (laughs) into Jerusalem, which can get him in all sorts of trouble. He ends up in a wedding that is incredibly full of people that have never met a Palestinian. Now, most Palestinians and most Israelis look very similar. You can't really tell anybody apart. So he was in the middle of this with a joy of I'm celebrating with these people at a wedding in a context I never would have been if I didn't know this quirky man. His mother is praying her little fingers off, you know, Lord, help him and protect him and keep him safe. But that's kind of the heart of the man. And his faith I've seen in Jesus has grown. And he's a photographer, an extremely good photographer. And nowadays, he's the hired photographer for the Church of the Nativity. And they have gone through a whole restoration of all of the mosaics in the church. And it's an Orthodox, Armenian, and Catholic building that's been used by all those faiths through the years. And they all hold it together with the manger scene that we, we talk about is underneath the church. You go down and see it. But he's been the photographer and the advertiser for that, telling the story of restoration. And he's an incredible man of peace. And here he has, lives within a context that he doesn't have much control over. But how does he live his Christian life? And he's found himself back in the Orthodox Church with his family. His wife is an Armenian Orthodox. And just with hope. He doesn't know how the days that will come will be. But the joy in the family is evident. And I thought of him as one of those, and when we talk about those things Scott wrote, of finding God at work in unexpected places. The, the difficulty to live with so much violence and yet have to overcome it day in and day out is a constant transformation. So then I want to take us, my next trip was to Rwanda. And Rwanda, like Susan and Scott, they came in 2011 with me and then she has had passion for that country and I know you all know about that. Well, I went back to a wedding in July for a young lady that I first met in 2011. And Antoinette is one of the dearest friends I have. And she is a living miracle. She lived through the genocide. And um, her journey of overcoming what happened to her in the genocide and to her family was part of the story of me getting to know her. She came to the School of Reconciliation and Justice in Harpenden in 2011, and she came because three other Rwandan friends had already been in the school and were really urging her, you need to come. And so as Anto, I had told her, whenever you get married, I'm coming. I want to dance at your wedding. Well, I didn't dance at her wedding. I would have been obviously not dancing quite Rwandan style, but I tried. (laughs) But I'm not very good. But the joy of watching this woman. Now, let me tell you her story has in one bit of it, and she's written her story. Her father, on the day that the genocide took place and began, um, his, her father told the 
I think there were three children in the house. Her mother had gone to a village and was killed there with her one of her brothers. And um, he said, I can't protect you. Just go and hide wherever you can hide. So this young woman who was a teenager went and hid with a lot of others in a local latrine. And she would get in there in the darkness and hopefully nobody would find her. And God just granted her protection. But she did that and the the genocide lasted for a 100 days. So you were looking at them trying to figure out how to eat, how to find hiding for that many days. And towards the end of it, she got caught. She was on the street and she got corralled with some other people and they were lining them up and just getting ready to kill them. And as she stood in the line, she was almost to the front. She said, well, none of us ran. We knew there was no point in running. We just stood there waiting to get killed. And, um, and I only heard this story last year because it's taken that long to really begin to share some of these stories. And as she stood there, all of a sudden, these men just disappeared. They ran off. They'd heard there was a bank that had just been robbed and there was money on the ground. And they all left. And she said, we all stood there looking at each other and then just slowly meandered like mummies into the woods. And, uh, and soon after that, it came to an end. But the journey didn't stop. And it was through, really, YWAM Rwanda and Rwandese leaders. They're, they focused their DTS around bringing back Hutu and Tutsi together and reconciling them as believers. Now, her story has another part to it. Cause I, watched, I saw her in 2011 when she came as a beautiful woman who just looked haunted. She looked like she was draped in sadness. And you think, can the gospel ever overcome that? And it's like the miracle of it can overcome that. And that heaviness, that sadness just gave way to greater and greater joy. And as you watch her life, it's... Her passion for forgiveness is something that she can't tell you enough about because she found in the freedom of forgiving what had happened, then the keys of life, an abundant life, just kept opening her heart. She's a trainer, like myself, of others, and um, I hope someday we'll just see. She just got married. Her husband's absolutely adorable man. Uh, Taken a long time for God to bring the right man, but they are perfect for each other. But I think she kind of is a, um, an example of somebody who we, I've been a part of her journey to help her discover more about who she is. And, and it's just been a blessing because I'm blessed more knowing her than I think I've ever been to her. <laughs> but I want to tell you the last part of her story is just a few years ago, she decided the one person she had to visit in prison was her uncle. And her uncle had, had killed her his wife, her, her aunt. And it was a sad situation at the marriage. But she felt like God was really challenging her to go back and say to the man face to face, and he's one still in prison, I forgive you. And to just tell him how she was forgiving. And she did that in the sense of, I really have to, to be free, see this man as a human being that needs Jesus and face him. I just cannot think of anything that in my own life challenges me more than, oh, my goodness. I don't even have that, you know, that would hold me back. Uh, But, again, somebody leaving an ordinary life in the circumstances God has given. And as Rwanda grows and blossoms, there's this undergoing feeling of this country is being 
really birthed. And each year, they don't, they don't commemorate with sadness what happened in the genocide. They remember to see change. They remember through forgiveness. It's the only country in the world that has tried this route. And at this point, it's really working. And they continue to look for the fault lines that would cause more trouble. So that's my second story. And this is the three of them. Go back just a minute and I'll say a word about the one young man that um, is in that last picture. With This is Anto and her husband, the tallest young man, Eve. And then the other gentleman, Noel, his family suffered from the genocide because they were Hutus that would not participate in the genocide. He's a, a tremendous missionary and uh, just a, he's a documentary filmmaker now and it's his heart too. But he was the one that urged Anto, please come, please come and be with us. So on to my last little snippet and... Um, I came home with a real sense of, Lord, I want to go to the border before I go home. Um, There's something happening at our border that I want to understand, not in a political sense. I just, because I've been places of conflict and I've seen things that I then read news about, it's usually, maybe I'd like to go see what this is like. And um, so I went with a group that I had met two of the, the leaders Rick, the older gentleman, who'd been a lifelong missionary with his wife to Guatemala and Honduras. And then one young lady in there standing next to me, the taller young woman without glasses, uh, came on the journey of understanding, and she had worked for Rick. And so both of them have a passion for Central and South America. And so with them, I felt like I'm in a group that they're going to lead that I think I would enjoy. Incredibly diverse group of young people. And uh, all of them passionate about Jesus and justice. So we went. And what I want to tell you in the story right now is a story that I didn't expect. Like Elias living behind a wall in the, the church there and all they face. And then Anto and all that she has faced, it's, it's not really... The government's created a form that you can find healing within that country. But still, it's within the body of believers. And this was what I would not have expected. We found in going, because Rick had connections, we found a group of churches in Laredo and Nuevo Laredo that have come together to take care of all the people that arrive at our border. Now, these aren't big churches. The gentleman that spoke to us said, you know, we discovered that smaller usually does a lot of work. Bigger churches, very little. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've heard that once or twice. (laughs) But it was two years ago, a Baptist pastor had a call from the Border Patrol on the Mexican side just saying we have got a lot of Cubans here for We won't go into that story, but they're waiting at the border with their papers, but we don't have the ability to process them. And they're sitting in the park, and they're unsheltered, unfed, and desperately needy. And the pastor said, in his mind, he said, I went, it's Christmas, and I don't have time for this. And he called another pastor. That pastor said the same thing. And, um, and he said, and generally, God got hold of our hearts, and we went to look. And went, when they saw these people, they said, we just went, we have to do something. Now, they worked with the churches in Nuevo Laredo from Catholic. All of this in these two towns is Catholic and all the other churches together. And since that time, they have fed, clothed, and sheltered 
the people that are sitting there waiting to go across the border. The ones that have been refused entry or those that maybe got caught and got deported, but they've picked them up. And um, if you go back to the very first one of that thing, this is like a, a, a great picture of the government and the church working together. So the church started it. And then a pastor in Nuevo Laredo called the Mexican governor of their area and said, we need a building to do something for these people. If you, if you want us to help, we need some space. Well, this building was already in operation. But th- what happens in that building is the government, actually the Mexican government, registers everybody that's turned back at the border. And this is at all of the centers, we've been told. And they basically register them and then attempt to see, you know, where do you want to go home? you know, and get them on a bus and send them back home. So that's moving back and forth. But then, standing in that building are chaplains from the local churches. And they're there to pick up the pieces of people's lives. And so they then connect them to the food, the the shelter, and everything else. It's huge. Last year alone, they they fed and took care of over 300,000 people. And I just went, what? <laughs> and, and it was then on the Laredo side, we visited one of the pictures shows you. A, a, I'll come back to that in a minute. But it shows you um, just an area where a local church and affiliates, it's a community center. And they house people, their families a lot of time that are waiting to go. They're, they're in the country. So they have legal papers to go the next step. But it was the working of the church together. And the pastor's words were, you know what Jesus has taught us? We were all, as a pastor, I was trained to work in four walls. But that's not God's community. It's the whole thing. It's everything. And it's all those points out of that come Holy Spirit list. And he said, so we've tackled it. And he said, we don't know how, but we've tackled it. And we're going to continue to feed them and clothe them, be with them. And in the midst of all this, this was the last part that just absolutely was astounding. We might wonder what is God up to when he gathers people like this. But a little bit like what I've seen in other places, Jesus is being introduced to these people. And he said all these people are coming from all over Mexico, Central America, and then other places. There's a mixture of Africans in there too. Um, he said, and we have time with them while they're with us to share Jesus. He said, you don't get to bring your tracts and your Bibles just to give them out to people. You've got to come and serve. You're going to come be with them. You're going to do all sorts of things. But as we do that, we tell them about Jesus. And he said, we're estimating that about 70% of the people we see go back home knowing Jesus. And they've had three to six months with them. He said, so we're looking at what God's doing is impossible for us. We've always wondered how we're going to evangelize Mexico and beyond. And he said, here they are at our doorsteps. And he said, we're way over our head. It was a lovely, lovely gentleman. And I just thought, this story has got to be told because it was just a minor miracle. Not only that, the pastor we stayed with looked after us in Laredo. He runs a noonday church every day in the city square for the poor people that come. And there's a group of people that feed them every day. And I thought, I've seen programs that feed people once in a while or weekly. Never have I seen programs that fed them all the time. And they glowed with the love of Jesus and the compassion for people. So I just, I thought all of those to me are like, those are the snippets of what we do with our lives. What, 
And all of us sitting here have influence. All of us have people that are around us, see us, go around our lives and look at us. And they, they need us just to be who we are. To, to give a big bear hug like George does is not a usual finding in most places I go. It's just this love that comes through who we are. However, we're in the midst of you guys in, in the classroom. I know that story. You know, you have to be filled with something to be able to survive and, and, and love everybody. But that's the calling that we have. And the Caesars of the world are going to do what the Caesars of the world do. But I think it takes us down into, this was just a meeting, I'll go, this was a meeting we had but with migrants and a luncheon and the governor of the region being there. It was a day of the migrants and them encouraging them and who they are. So let's go to the last little snippet. So this is a verse that's on my little bookmark here <laughs> that I've carried around forever. Um, but this verse has always been kind of the key in discipleship for me and in training of others. But it, it links to these other people because, you know, if you think about the Colossians, you all were studying them. They were a tiny little church in a very big pagan area. There's nothing is overwhelming. There weren't very many of them. And yet they managed somehow to bring in people over three centuries that made Christian faith the majority faith in the empire. That's who we still are today, really. We're still a minority within a big sea of pagans that need God's love. And this verse to me, I think if you just take a moment, and I want us to read through it, and then just think about the stories I've been sharing and the people I think we all probably know people like that. And, um, and then I want us to stand up and make this as a declaration. This is who we are. This is who you all live every day. This is why I enjoy coming to see you. And um, that we've been chosen by God for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength. Discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Do your best. Watch, work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Pretty good summary of the gospel. And I use this in my Bible because it is a bit of, uh-huh, uh-huh, we're not doing too well on that point. <laughs> 
better revisit it a little bit. Uh, and oh, I think we're making strides on that bit. <laughs> but I think in the world we're living in, and I've lived in a lot of different places and traveled to a lot of conflicted areas. But when you meet the people of God doing what God has called them to do, the fallen world is the fallen world, but that's our, that's our job. We're to be those lights and those people that keep helping people know there is a God that is so incredibly beyond words that we, I don't even have words sometimes to describe who he is and how he sustains us. So I thank you all for my prayers because those people I talked about and many stories I could keep us here for a long time about individual stories, you've invested in praying for one person and it touches a lot of different places. And so it's, it's working together is the most important thing. So would you like to stand and say that together for this coming year? So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dressed in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And I just want to uh, close with a prayer. Father, thank you for the ways in which you take our ordinary lives and you give them purpose, you give us direction, but most of all, you give us yourself, yourself that loves us, watches over us, and helps us to imagine what a world would look like if everyone understood they were loved by you. But in the between time now, you've given the task to us to be your hands and feet. And thank you for my friends here who are the hands and feet of Jesus to this community and beyond, to their families, in their jobs, in their quiet time, in their prayers. Lord, we all are seeking to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So would you, by the power of your spirit, continue to help us grow, help us to multiply your goodness and to see the goodness of the Lord in, the, in the, the, the lives of those that are living today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.